And once again, Heavenly Father, we present ourselves to you as your church, Lord, and we just open up our, our hearts and our minds to your, to your word, Lord. And Lord Jesus, we just, we just thank you for, for, your, for dying on the cross, Lord, for your blood shed for our sins, that you're the ultimate sacrifice. And Lord, that, we, that, that God looks at us now like he looks at you, Lord, and we, we just thank you, Lord. God, we just ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to this room tonight, God, into our hearts, Lord. God, that we would take away from your word the things that we can pour into other people as we leave here tonight, God, and that we would tell people about you, Lord, and Lord, that people would see you through our actions and the way that we love each other, God. We love you and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to say hi to the person next to you and have a seat? Hey, guys. I would encourage you guys uh, to sign up for that uh, discipleship class. That's really cool that they're going to, that I think it's the men will be doing one and the women, I believe, will be doing one. So definitely sign up for that and, and learn how to be a disciple. But, you know, like we've been doing as we've been going through Matthew, I've entitled this series Be Disciples. And, and you know, I think we kind of, Collectively, those of us that decide to attend Sunday nights, we kind of you'll have you'll have a heads a head up on that discipleship class because Jesus has been doing that this whole time that we've been we've been reading Matthew. He's been making disciples. We saw that even before he chose his twelve apostles, he chose them out of his disciples. That there were people that were following him, just like well, they were just like you and I, just normal people. And Jesus would do these wonderful things, and it makes sense, you know, to that people would surround the Lord and follow the Lord. I mean, you know, the, it wasn't it wasn't as if you know Jesus was doing a pretend magic trick, or he knew he had some insight on some herbs that would take away a guy's cough or something. Jesus was healing leprosy, you know, and and if you if you look at leprosy, that's kind of amazing because if you Google image leprosy, you 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 kind of wash your eyes out. It's pretty bad. Like, you know, I, I had no idea. I just kind of picture, like, people with, like, limbs falling off. But it's, like, you know, like, just this whole thing that kind of grows on you. And it's, ugh. Anyway, so, like, Jesus would heal that with the word. He would, he would you know, you weren't supposed to touch people with leprosy because leprosy was very contagious. But Jesus would touch people and heal them. With, with, with just commanding, um, with the words of his mouth, and command, he would command sicknesses away and people would walk and all these amazing things in his teachings no one's ever taught like him before and with with within all that well that that kind of that kind of drew people to him but as we've been going we've been we've been learning that we should be disciples of the lord but in that in this christian life we we're, we follow the lord jesus and we and you know we love the lord jesus cuz i mean the reality is jesus is a lovable guy you know, I don't mean that to cheapen the Lord or anything, but I mean, it's not hard to love the one that died on the cross for your sins so that you could have right standing relationship with God and you go to heaven and have fellowship. And that's, you know, that's amazing. Greater love is no man than this that he lays down his life for a friend. So, you know, it's easy to love Jesus. His, his way is easy, his burden is light. And just the way he is, you know, what's the hard part of this, of this whole life? It's loving other people. 
that can be the difficult part, especially the part of loving your enemies. Someone wrongs you. Have you, you know, I'm sh- this is kind of probably a dumb question, but have you ever been mad at somebody before? Or have you even gone deeper? Have you felt intense hatred for somebody before? We're not to do that. We're to, lo- we're to love people because, and that, I think that starts with us being disciples. That's an airplane. With us, being a deci- with us being disciples, and as we love each other, and as we disciple each other, well, I think that has a, a chain effect, if you will, and that pours out onto the laws. And people are going want to want to come and, you know, be touched by somebody. You know, and it just makes me wonder how many people have came in here, you know, just kind of sat down and left really quick. But they were, they were secretly hoping that inside someone would reach them. Someone would touch them. Same, you know, even just saying hi to somebody or, hey, can I pray with, can I pray with you? I've so far, I can't think of one person that, says, that said no to prayer. Because even an unbeliever or someone that's not born again will think it's a good luck charm or something. You know what I mean? Just in the way that they look at it. You know, yeah, sure. But that, that plants seeds, and, and I think Jesus, I think we ought to be like the Lord in, in that we are to be making disciples. Well, because Jesus said it, go make disciples of all nations. And I think, that's, I think that's how things like our spiritual gifts come out. I think that's how, that's, how, that's how revivals start and all that. But either way, that's how someone grows stronger in the Lord is through discipleship, and I think it's very important. So we're going through Matthew Last week we ended chapter 10. We'll be going through chapter 11 now. And as, as we're going through, we'll, we incorporate Mark and Luke whenever we can or appropriate. And this is what's known as the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When you read about the same events together, it gives you a very good picture or understanding about what's being said. Because you have different perspectives of the same event. Um, if you want to look at it synoptically um, on your own, this what we're going to read about tonight tonight will be also be in Luke chapter 7 verses 18 through 35. I, I haven't titled my uh, my teachings but this one I've titled a reed shaken by the wind because that's what Jesus calls John and it's just a really cool name so I didn't I've no other reason except that but Jesus as we as we're looking at this we saw that Jesus picked 12 men to be in his to be to be with them at all times to be in his inner circle and we see as he picked these men he used these men right away. And I think the Lord, the Lord even does that today. Because, you know, have, you remember that, that, remember when you were first born again? You remember when you became a Christian? When God touched your life? You know, that overwhelming sense of joy? And, you know, you couldn't fully explain everything. If someone would come up to you and ask, you know, the dogma of Christianity or, you know, what's Calvinism versus Armenianism? Or, what, you know, what's eschatology? Like, I don't know. But I know, I know that Jesus loves me. I know that he died for me. And people, people you know, I've, I've seen just radically, radical things happen in people. And all they know is that Jesus did it. You know, look at some of these people that were healed. They say the same thing. I don't know. I just know that man did it. But even that, is, God uses that. I, I always think of the thief on the cross. He's just always been on my heart, that teaching. And maybe I'll stop you know, talking about it when I finally teach it, but like, you know, how many people have read that passage and said, well, if that guy can, like that guy's in heaven, maybe I, maybe I can, maybe I can turn to the Lord. Jesus uses, uses them right away, and I think that's what he does for us, is we start to reach people for him right away. You notice that these weren't perfect men. I wonder if they're kind of n- not really, I mean, maybe normal, but maybe just people that weren't super special. I mean, fishermen, 
you know, they would, t they would times probably touch on, you know, they would touch, not undead, they would touch dead fish, made them unclean probably. Matthew, a tax collector, would definitely have been looked down upon by the Jewish community. He's, a, he's betraying his own people. He's no, you know, his, his friends were the um, scum of the earth. But that's what Jesus went to, to party with right, right after that and hung out with the scum of the earth because those are the people that needed to be saved. But it, it's, it's, it's people that, that weren't anything special. And how many times in your, in, your, in your walk before the Lord or in your life before the Lord, it didn't even seem like the devil wanted you. It didn't seem like people wanted you. You felt rejected. There's this huge gaping hole. You see that people are hurting. I mean, look at suicides that goes on in this world, whether it's from the rich to, the, to, to anybody. And you can think, no one wants me. I'm not usable. I am nobody special. I don't, I, I don't really have anything that great to offer. I barely do my job well when I come home. But you know what? I think God likes to use people like that because it brings him the most glory. God likes to use the foolish, the foolish people or the foolishness of this world. Because through God, all things are, are possible. And I think as we, we're going to be reading today, we're going to be reading about John the Baptist. And I think that God uses men like that. You know what I liked about John the Baptist is that he, he just behaved in a matter of what he believed. This, I think John, the, the, what we read about John the Baptist out there crying in the wilderness, I, I just fully believe that wasn't an act. I believe John was just behaving as John. That there are these promises from the Lord that, that I am called to this, so if these, this is what the Bible says, and this is what I'm going to do. And, and are we doing that, believers? You know, we own these promises. These promises made by God. We're, if we are, in fact, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, then, then we have then that alone should speak to the fact that we have power and that we, we ought to be using it to reach people. I've noticed some things about, about people like John. I see a pattern with, with the, these kinds of people that God uses, these, these not real super normal, kind of peculiar, awkward, shy, I don't know, whatever. Put, put your personality trait in there and those kind of people that God uses. I'm not trying to slam you guys or anything. I'm just saying, like, you know, kind of, kind of people that God gets the most glory out of. Well, they're set apart. And what comes to my mind is Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but Daniel, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he refused of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. If you read the story of Daniel, you see Daniel and you see his other friends, Radshak, Meshach, Abednego, they, they set themselves aside. They worship the one true living God. And you see that God blessed them, they, that, that when they needed something, when they needed to know the interpret, interpretation of dreams, what did they do? They stopped what they were doing and they went off and they prayed. That they set them, they they, because up to this point, Israel went into captivity because of idolatry, because of the fact that, that the Jews were not, were not after and worshiping God. And it could seem like it would be too late because now they're not allowed to practice their religion anymore. They're not allowed to go to the temple. In fact, I believe the temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Now they can't even practice anything. Now their way to God has been seemingly completely shut off. And it's almost in your head you can think, then why bother? God seems to have rejected me. I, you know what? God doesn't seem to want me. No, what happens is they repented. What happens is they, they oh, I, we need to, you know, it's not too late to start behaving in a manner of holiness. So what did Daniel do? 
he stopped and he set himself apart. And that's that's one of the um one of the things that seems one of the traits or whatever that God uses is people that are set apart. Ephesians chapter six, verse thirteen, God uses faithful people. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You know, sometimes in, in, you know, in, in spiritual warfare, in any warfare, holding a position is the whole difference in a battle. You know, we need to take this hill and then this hill needs to, needs to be absolutely for sure taken. And you're sitting there taking fire and shooting back and fighting back. But you're 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 on that place. You're stuck there. And it seems like there's there's overwhelming odds, but somehow you're still holding on. You will, you, you're going to die holding this position. And sometimes that could be like that in our in our Christian walk. Right. In spiritual warfare, you know, man, this is kind of overwhelming. You know, I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I'm sick of the way people treat me. You know, things aren't changing at home. My husband's not leading me. My wife's not listening to me my, or my kids or whatever, you know. Whatever the battle is, it can seem overwhelming. And what does God say? He says, put on the whole armor of God. And he breaks it down. Imagine Paul was sitting there looking at a Roman centurion. He was probably tied to it. He looks at all the armor and he breaks down the armor. But more than that, that armor, it says in Romans, is, is Christ. And we offer ourselves as living sacrifices and we put on the full armor of God as we do that, as we get up and we move forward in this battle. And, and sometimes all we could do is just stand in the promises of God. Because what does God say? He, sa- he, doesn't, he doesn't say, you know, be, be active as far as, as far as doing it all yourself. He says, be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that, I, that, that the battle's been won, that I am doing this. I need you to stand because when, when the world or when whoever's watching you sees you standing through all this, that makes a difference. And I can attest to that personally. I've had just atheist friends and people tell me that, like, you know, I don't mean to boast. I'm just saying as an example for you guys that, like, you know, I could tell you believe. I was in, I don't know if I told this story yet before. You could tell me after if I did. But I was in a humanitarians class and my professor, this is a secular, this is at Chafee College. Uh, my professor at the time, he said, he said, your mom's, your mom is sick and there's a cure, but the cure is, let's say $30,000 and you don't have that money. But as you're going, you see a, you see one of those, uh, what do you call it? Those trucks that hold money. You know what I'm talking about? That pick up money and stuff. They like, what was that? Armored truck. Thank you. You see the armored truck and they drop a bag and you know, there's more than enough. You know that taking it is illegal you know, just taking it and paying for it. But, for, but let's just say you absolutely know no one else will find out. You can even justify in your head that that was a gift from God. Would you take it? Hold your hand up, and he would give scenarios. Well, what if it's this? What if you absolutely knew you'd never get caught? And you'd put your hands down if you would give in and say, yes, I would take it. And I was, I was, I was the only one with my hand still up at the very end. He's like, he's like, Sean, I've given you every reason in the world to not, um, and I'm thinking, great, this is one of those college moments where I'm going to be like bashed for being a Christian. You always hear about, you know, I'm, I'm like mentally preparing myself to throw down. I was like, I'll just punch you, dude. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, you know, to, to, you're going to throw down with this guy who's obviously way smarter than I am. And, um, you know, I'm preparing and, and he goes, he's like, why? And I was like, why would you do that? You let your mom die? I was like, it's not, it's not because it's not to me. And if I, because I truly believe in a God that heals. And I know he would not be okay with me breaking the law or, or, or sinning, if you will, to, to do this for my mother, that I would have full faith in him and that I would come through. And then I like stopped and kind of went like this, you know, and my mentally didn't do that, I didn't do that physically. 
like waiting for him to go, you're an idiot or something. And he goes, you see this? And this is always going to be with me to this day. He's like, you see him? He's someone that believes what the Bible says. He's someone that believes in God. And that's always stuck with me. And maybe I just gave away my reward telling you guys that. But, but man, that's never left me. Faithfulness. God wants you to trust in him. God wants people that are filled with and by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18. And do not be drunk with wine in which is uh, disputation, but, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. All three of these require you to obey. And all three require fellowship with Jesus. And I think the apostles are a standard here as, 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 he's, picked, as he's picked them. They, would, they were with the Lord. And I think it's in, it's, it's in the Gospels or it's in Acts where, where, where they're speaking and they're talking to people. And they're, and they're like, these aren't educated men. These are, these are people from Galilee. You know, that's like uh, one of my pastors saying, this is like saying this is, this is our backwater people from the um, Smoky Mountains or something, you know. So the difference was, was they were with Jesus. And I think even that in the simple application there is, is, is that us in our lives. Can, can people tell that you've been with the Lord? And, the way, and one way that we do that is every day, do you get up and do devotions? Even if it's you just read, your, your, you know, read a chapter. I know a lot of you, I don't know if, how many, but I know for a while the church was big on doing the Bible bus, and I think that's a fantastic thing. Reading the Bible in a year, that's awesome. But maybe you can only read a chapter. Because, you know, you'll, you'll read something, you'll be like, okay, I'm, they're part of the Bible bus. I'm in 1 Corinthians, and I'm in this chapter. And it's wonderful, because I love 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It makes me feel warm and tingly, you know, and all that. And then I'm in, and then the proverb and the Psalms, and then I'm in the law of Moses, and I, I just kind of want to die. You know, great, oh, awesome, you know, rules about the hoofed rabbit, can't wait, or whatever. You know, and, and, but, but, but maybe, my point is, I'm not trying to bash the law of God, but like, the, the, um, maybe you can't read all that. Maybe you can only read a chapter. Maybe you can only read a verse a day. But whatever it is, are you doing it? Because the faithfulness comes in that. Because God speaks, because the, the most insightful things I get is when the Holy Spirit teaches me, even, even before my father or any kind of Bible Institute <clears throat> pastor or whatever, or whoever I used to rip off for my Sunday nights. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, before all that, the Holy Spirit. Because there's times when you're reading and the Holy Spirit will really grab your attention and say, hey, what do you think of this? He doesn't ask me what I think. He goes, look at this. Look, this is why, or this is what happened so long, or this is what I want you to know here, Sean. And those are the moments. I mean, those moments I can get in the church, and maybe you get that, and that's why you choose to come to Sunday nights. I don't know. But are you with the Lord in your devotions? Because you, you could speak to God and you could pray, but God wants to speak back to you, and I believe that's through his already spoken word. As we get these things and as we're in our devotions, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And then it continues that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And then Paul, Paul offers, offers some insight in communion, but... But I like how Paul starts this. He says, for, for the things that I received. And I think that's one of the fundamental cores of discipleship. You, 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 
man and woman of God that's, that is sitting in here, you mighty scholar that comes to Sunday nights, because, you know, Sunday mornings are great, Thursday nights are okay, but Sunday nights is where I get the word. I'm just kidding. But, but you come to Sunday nights, and you receive. You come to Sunday morning, and you receive. You come to Thursday, or you, you're going to go to this discipleship class, or you come to the men's um, breakfast thing, you know, and it's, you know, to, to, and you receive and you get these insights or your brain, it's just that part of your brain's unlocked because God really spoke to you and you receive. But what happens once you receive, what do, you, what do we do in the aspect of discipleship? Well, it says, for what I received from the Lord, and you get it from the Lord in, in reading and praying, I also deliver to you. You have, this, this, is whole, this whole thing is meant to be given away. God, Jesus paid for, for everything. So you get it from him, and you give it to others. At least you offer it to others. You take what you have from the Lord, and you show it to others. Because it, and remember, it, as you do this, it isn't by works. Ephesians 2, 9-10 says, Not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship. Because, you know, we're kind of, we're you know, funky, weird people. You know, there's something, we're, we're not really super talented. Maybe there is, I'm not saying some of you aren't talented. Maybe, you know, I can't do what David does, you know. I can barely do what Jonathan does on base. You know, I'm, we're just not that special. But, but when we're filled with the Holy Spirit and God's doing the work, it's something mighty and God gets the glory. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this, you know, this, doing that, it's contrary to the world. Especially now, especially we're, we're, we're applauding, you know, partial birth abortions and and we keep adding laws, but we, we seem to keep seeing lawlessness. And just the things in, and I'm just speaking within the United States, and I know there's different, there's different moral beliefs and, con, and, and conduct that we can, we can show, but, but in our hearts we have the Word of God, and that's what we, we, we put everything in the Word of God. But as we behave this way in discipleship, we see that, this is contrary to the world things. The Beatitudes is not the sure way to get to the top of the um, social work ladder. In fact, it seems like the opposite of the Beatitudes would be how you, how you succeed in the world. But, but God calls us to be salts of the earth, to be lights in a dark place. And, and salt loses its flavor when, uh, when it mixes in with the other elements of the world, when it becomes just like any other element. We're not to be that. Jesus being the most lovable person... And uh, most lovable, perfect human was persecuted. You will be too. We saw that last week. Remember that your ministry starts at home. Before you become, I put here, before you become the next Billy Graham, remember that God loves your family more than you do. And he wants, he wants to reach them first after you honor him first. I wrote, God is very family oriented. I think, I think disciples, first and foremost, are made at home. And men, listen to me, those men in here where you have wives, and if God has blessed you with children, it starts with you leading them in devotions. And I know, and I promise you, I understand how, how much easier that is said than done. And I'm not technically married yet, but, and I promise, there's some, there's, I get reminded that of a lot. No, uh, you get, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not technically married yet. My point is, is that, is that I still could be more faithful in leading her in devotions. So I know, I understand. I could be faith, more faithful in leading myself in devotions. But that's where it starts here. But, but as we get into this, Jesus, Jesus is, is getting ready to hear from John's apostles. 
Remember that John the Baptist is a forerunner of Jesus. He held the last office of prophet. We can have gifts of prophecy, but the last, but the whole point of the prophets and the offices that was to point to Messiah. A bold man who only wants to set the path for his cousin Jesus. A man ready for Messiah. A man that calls calls out sin in the lonely poor person and even up to Herod Antipas who had taken his brother's wife who was also his niece. It was also his brother's niece. It's kind of disgusting, right? John spoke out against anything that was contrary to God because he was convinced Jesus is Messiah and was going to set up his kingdom in his time. Imagine doing something because you are so convinced. I think, I think too, that's why we, we do discipleship. I think, too, that's why we, we do this Christian life, because we're convinced of, that Jesus is Lord. And imagine what would happen if we really just, I don't want to say you guys aren't going for it. I don't know your hearts. I have no idea. I'm not God. I'm just Sean. But imagine just, just really going for what the Bible says and the promises and, and how much God has your back. Because I promise you, if, if you go out and you go, you know, tonight, I just know God wants me to go to the Chino Spectrum and, and, and talk to ten people about him, if that's what he actually does, then great. And you go do that, and like the fourth person murders you right then and there, I don't think God's going to go, oh, Sean, I'm so sorry. I wasn't looking at you. I completely forgot. You, you, you're out of my control for one second, and you died. I'm so sorry, man. No, obviously not. We are, we, we, we. I think we, but we do this because we are convinced. The religious leaders, they hated John because they hated Jesus and how John called them snakes. So the religious leaders, they hear about John the Baptist and they go to see him. And the first thing that John says to him is like, you guys are a bunch of snakes. That didn't make the, that didn't make the Pharisees and the scribes very happy. They didn't feel like they were snakes. So they, they used John calling Herod out as an opportunity to put him away. And so as we, as we get to this, it's good to consider that a lot of people believe that John was sending his apostles, um, was sending his disciples to get them to follow Jesus. It also makes sense that maybe that John believed that Jesus was going to set up his kingdom and was waiting um, on that, so um, was waiting, so he didn't really care that he's in prison. So a lot of people, there's, there's, there's a couple line, main lines of thinking. They think that John sent his disciples to ask Jesus um, if they should look for another, because John wanted to decrease and Jesus must increase, so he's thinking, well, i got to send my disciples to follow him. That's, I'm not saying that's wrong. That could be it. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say specifically how John the Baptist was thinking. But I, I think that John, um, especially in the aspect that he might have been in a, uh, a scene or whatever, he obviously knew the scriptures. Look who his dad was as a priest. He knew what the scriptures said, and the scriptures in Isaiah 42, 7, that Messiah was to open the blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I think John thought, you want to throw me in jail? That's fine with me. My cousin's the Messiah. When he sets up his kingdom, you guys are in trouble. He's going to let me out, first of all, so do whatever you think you can do. But but keep in mind how great John the Baptist was. John was a human being, and maybe as he's sitting there, you know, week after week, he's like, what's going on? That's great that he's healing leprosy. When's it going to get me out of jail? So what if, what if that's why he sent? Well, let's read this. Matthew chapter 11. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard 
in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, and, and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John that the things which you hear and see, the blind see, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Jesus is not so much con- commending John here, but he's reassuring him to get a proper perspective. A loving rebuke from the word himself. He's saying, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing as Messiah. The gospel's going out. You, you, you set the way. You set, you're a forerunner, and we are to be forerunners of Christ, because guess what? Jesus is coming back. Remember, it's the goodness of God that leads the sinner to salvation, but it's the terror of the Lord why we persuade men. Not that we're running around going, ah, you're going to die. That might, you know, kind of creep people out. But, you know, it's, it's knowing the end, knowing that, that, you know, that not only does God confident he's going to win, but he tells you exactly how he's going to be opposed and still win. And then what's going to happen in the great white throne. Was it, and, but, but in the aspect of what's going on here, he's, you know, Jesus is correcting John's point of view, I believe. Even, even if he's talking to his disciples, even if that's the whole point, either way, he's saying, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm reaching people. And that's what this whole thing has been about this whole time, is reaching the laws. And, and it's, it's what I like about the Lord is he doesn't just kind of rebuke John and just leave it at that, or rebuke his disciples and leave it at that, but he uplifts him. As they departed, Jesus began to say, because the multitudes were there, they would have heard it. He began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you come out to see? A man clothed in soft, a man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and violence taken by force, and the violent taken by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And, e- and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The son of man comes eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and of sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. John was a holy prophet of God. He was more than a prophet, even. He was the subject of of prophets. He is the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. John knew that he must decrease and Jesus must increase. John may have been a human, <clears throat> excuse me, John may have been a human um, fault, but John was faithful to the end. 
John was all three of those things that I said earlier and, God, and that God uses. John, John did these things to the end. And we are to be like John. We are to be forerunners. Conservative estimates um, say that over a million people came to hear John uh, because he taught, he taught the truth of the word. Like I said, I think John was out there teaching and, and preaching baptism and, and, and preaching repentance. He was, I think he was just teaching from his heart. I think he, was, he just wanted to see, and, what, and, and you could see, in fact, if he was sending his disciples because he really, truly believed what, the, um, what, the, what it said in Isaiah, that he'll be set free, then he believed he was going to be free. And I, I like John's attitude in that he said, if the Bible says it, then it must be so. How many times have we doubted what the Bible said? Or not believed what God said he was going to do? So I like John's heart and I like John's attitude here. We see, we see things that says that the, the violence taken. It could be, he could be referring to Herod Antipas here. He certainly could be referring to Rome. But in all this, I like what he, what he says about John. He uplifts him. He rebukes him, or even his disciples, if you want to think that. But he does it in a loving manner, and then he lifts, he lifts up John. And that's another, another thing that I think we should be doing. We, we can rebuke each other, especially if you're discipling someone and they're wrong. I'm wrong all the time. My dad has constantly rebuked me. But also uplifting, edification. You may come to church and feel convicted, and this is a good place to be convicted at if the word's going out, right? But also, there's an, I think there's edification in this. I think you can come to church and leave feeling good. I mean, it's not just about feelings, but, you know, feeling uplifted, feeling like you're going to go forth and conquer. Either way, it's the Holy Spirit. And so what I like about John is his obedience to the end, is that he, is that he did what he, was, what he was supposed to do. And even Jesus says, look, John did what he was supposed to do. John came and they said he has a demon. I come, they say I'm a drunk. And that's the thing is, as you're going through and you're doing all what you can do, and all you can do is stand, then stand. Because, you know, people are just not, if, you know, you, like I said, you can, you can take, let's say, a Mormon and, con- and just absolutely convince this Mormon that Mormonism is wrong. If that Mormon doesn't become a born-again Christian, he, what does it matter? You can convince an atheist that there is absolutely a creator, that 100%, here's this proof that I have, there is God. And the atheist can go, fine, there is a God. Okay, cool, so you're ready to become a Christian now? And if he says no and he doesn't become born again, then so what? He's going to believe in, in God and hell with the demons. It's a heart change. And sometimes I believe that's done when you're doing, like John the Baptist, when you have done all, you're doing all to stand. And that's what John would do. John would stand. John stood for what he believed in. He, his head got lopped off for what he believed in. Verse 20. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, uh, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would, have been, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you and you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you." Was Jesus right about this? 
if you go to those places today, if, I think who's been to Israel so far? Have you been to these places? Do you see a thriving full-on city there now? No, it's ruins, right? You go there and you see, you see the destruction. And it's, it's, and it's good to know, in this, for you Bible scholars in this room, that some people look at this and they say there's different levels of punishment for hell. I don't know, honestly. And I don't want to say anything that this is absolutely there's different punishments of hell because I can't say that as a fact. We certainly we can't be dogmatic on the point. But, I mean, like, why find out? I guess, you know, why go there and find out if there is? But you see Jesus calling it out. And if there is, you know, it says there's, there's six things that the Lord hates. Behold, seven are an abomination. And it, it just kind of makes you wonder, is there, if, if he hates these specific sins, is there a specific punishment for the sins? Wouldn't it kind of insinuate? And I don't know. All I'm telling you that is not to go around saying, hey, there's different, Sean said there's different levels of hell. I'm not saying that there is for sure. But even if there's a possibility that, that hell could get, that there's worse parts of hell, that human beings can be going there, ought we not to be behaving in a manner to take people out of it? Do, should we not be making disciples? Should we not be standing like John the Baptist so that cities don't fall into hell? Even the possibility that there could be a worse judgment. What does it say? That hell was created to uh, punish to punish the demons and, and the devil. And you look in the Old Testament, and when the Assyrians came to, um, to attack Israel and surround Israel, they cried out to God, and in one night, one angel came and killed the entire army. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, I could call, what, a thousand legions or tens of thousand legions. Uh, um, I could pray to my Heavenly Father, call down these angels, and they would come. If one, pers- if one angel can wipe out a hundred thousand men, imagine what, like, let's say a thousand angels can do. And you imagine the power. So if hell was created to punish something powerful as an as a, as a, um, angel, imagine what hell's going to do with a, a human soul. We need to be going and making disciples, guys. We need to be pulling people out of the fires of hell because hell's a very real place that Jesus spoke of often. Matthew um, eleven twenty five says, At the time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Heavenly Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Verse 25 points out um, what I've been saying, how Jesus gets the glory with, with us, you know, kind of dumb, non-usable by the world people. You know, whoever you are, I'm not saying any of you are dumb or, you know, you know non-usable. I don't mean it like that. I'm just saying God, you, God can and wants to use you for, pow, for, 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 pow, you know, for his glory, to, to bring the world to him. Nothing special about John. John taught because John was convinced. 
Romans 8, 38, Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. I don't know if you guys do life verses or if you like the idea of having a life verse, but if I had to pick a life verse, it would be these two verses. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love that because, guys, there's times where I would struggle so hard, and I've said this before, so hard that the fact that God, if God loved me or not. And then I kind of came to the idea, well, okay, I guess God loves me, but it's kind of the love like, oh, yeah, Sean, hey, yeah, no, yeah, I love you, man, kind of. Your dad I love a lot. Your dad has been faithful to me for, you know, I don't know how old he is and how long, a super long time, and your mom, but but yeah, I guess, you know, and I kind of thought, and I, I, knew, I knew the right answers because, you know, they've been giving me devotions every day of my life, whether I wanted it or not. You know, well, maybe God just kind of likes me because my, my parents of who they are. The whole thing like, yeah, I'm going to heaven, I'm a pastor's son. Obviously, that's not true, you know. But, no, but God, God, God is thrilled to death about me. Only God can love everyone the way he loves everybody. And that fact has been, and we see that fact through what Jesus did on the cross and what Jesus was doing here. And maybe that's something you need to hear tonight, because you need to know that God loves you. Well, you don't know what I did. Well, all I can say to that is you, you can't, I don't know. I don't really, I kind of don't really want to know. I mean, I realize I'm in ministry and I might have to know sometimes these things if you tell me. But, but you can't outsend the cross. If you say, I've, d- I've done such a worse sin that it's not covered by the cross, you're saying that your sin is more powerful than God. And it's just not. Because if Jesus couldn't die for that one terrible thing you did, then none of it counts. But guess what? He, he, if, he wouldn't, if he didn't love you, he wouldn't have gone to the cross just for one. But he would have gone just for one. But if your one sin was not coverable, then he, I don't think he would have done it. Because it wouldn't accounted for that one. No, he made sure it counted. It all counted. You can't outsend the cross of Jesus. That he conquered that. He, he destroyed that sin, and he conquered it because there's nothing in this world. By the way, everything in this universe is created. But there's nothing that is created that can separate you from the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Jesus says, "My yoke is easy. My burden is light." The um, the man. Uh, uh, a, bio, a great Bible scholar named Justin Martyr um, says that Jesus growing up might have been a, he believed that Jesus was a yoke maker. Remember, Joseph, his, his stepfather, was a carpenter. He believes that Joseph was a yoke maker, so Jesus as a profession would have made yokes. So maybe Jesus right here was kind of plugging his business too, you know, like I'm, you know, hey, hey my burdens are light. No, I'm kidding. But but either way, Jesus would have known a yoke. He's, he's the king of the universe. He would have known what a yoke was either way, so it doesn't really matter if he was or not. But he was a carpenter. And you know what a yoke does in those days? Uh, I don't know what it still does. I don't know if there's farmers in this room. But a yoke puts two like-minded creatures together, and, 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 it, and, it, and it directs both these creatures so that at the same time they get the work done. A yoke, a yoke on the right creature, a proper yoke on the right creature, it fits well. Isn't that what Jesus' yoke does for us? Jesus' yoke, it fits well when we're doing ministry. It fits well when we're doing discipleship and we're, and we're moving in what God has for us. 
Because you know what? Nothing's easy in this world. But Jesus says it, it is easy. So, so we follow him. Because you're, you're going to be yoked to something. Jesus says don't be unequally yoked. But be, 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 become, because my burden, I, I, will, I will make it so it fits well with you as, you as you obey and you move into what I have for you. But nothing's super easy in this world. I, was gonna, I read this joke off from Pastor Jason Duff. It's, it's, there's that song that goes, easy like Sunday morning, right? Obviously, Lionel, Lionel Richie wasn't a pastor. Because ministry is just not easy when you're dealing with people. Pastor Jason got a better laugh than that. But Revelation chapter 22, verse 12 says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his works. And so we do this. And we move in this Christian life because we are convinced. Because, you know, people, people, that, that, people that are convinced of something, they follow it. You are convinced that tomorrow morning when you get up and go to work and work for 8 to 10 hours or whatever, that at some point you're going to get a paycheck for that. You are convinced that you're going to, as far, you know, as far as we know, that the United States will still have the same laws and that you'll have the freedoms that, you're, that you've become accustomed to as an American. These men, John the Baptist included, these men saw the risen Lord. Paul saw Jesus. They were convinced of it. And I guess I'll leave, I'll leave you guys tonight with that question. Are you convinced about what you're doing? Because if you're convinced, you, you stand on the word of God. You stand in the promises of the Lord. And you move in that. Because you guys... You guys know that the burden is easy, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, that you have that peace that just surpasses all understanding, that you're salts of this world, that you're lights, that there's flavor in this church, and when people come here, they get a taste for it because they see the way that we behave around and love each other and the way we love the Lord. And so if you're convinced you move forward in this, if you're convinced, understand that the things that, that are said in the word is that God, is, that God is faithful. Jesus says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. He doesn't say your wife won't. He doesn't say your parents won't leave you nor forsake you, because they could. They're human beings. But Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And that's what we have. We're eternally minded. So if we're eternally minded, we are, we are eternally convinced, and we move in that, and we make disciples. Father God, Lord, I just come before you once again, Father, and Lord, we just, we just move in you, Lord. We, we, we are convinced of what you did for us. We are convinced that you're there, and we're convinced that you, were here tonight, that you are here tonight, God. Lord, we just, we just thank you for that. So, Lord, we just, I just ask right now that you would, everyone in this room, Lord, or that's listening online or that's sitting out there in, in the um, overflow or whatever, Lord, that you, would, Lord, that you would give us the gift of faith in you, Lord. The Holy Spirit, that you would put that gift upon our heart, at least for this week, God, at least for tomorrow, God. Lord, that we would show other people your love, Father. And Father, just reach us, Lord. Be real to us. Lord, give us the desire to be in your word more, Lord. Lord, help my unbelief. I love you and I praise you, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, can you all stand, please?
Sorry.